Gage Uncut. I'm here with Tania Shaw for episode two of the duo. So we had a lot of people that really enjoyed hearing Tania and my story. Um, And so what we thought out is we'll kind of give you a little bit more background. Uh, Some of you do know, some of you don't know that Tania had a kind of a, a story as well as I this what we're going through right now before we had the heart problems anything like that we had what's called PKD uh, polycystic kidney disease and she'll be able to explain it a little better than I can but as far as we're going to talk a little bit about how it affected our family how it affects us even today and um yeah, so this isn't our first radio. Let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, Tania? Well, so PKD is polycystic kidney disease, and it is a uh, genetic disease. Um, typically, it's, it's passed down from generation to generation. And um, so what it is is where um, cysts grow on your kidneys, or and as they grow, they tend to consume all of the filters on your kidneys, which is what filters your blood. And if you don't know what your kidneys do, they you cannot live without them. They control a lot or they contribute to a lot of your um, everyday health. So as your blood is being filtered, your kidneys filter. You're born with like millions of little filters on your kidneys. They do not renew. Once they are damaged, they are damaged forever. And so I was diagnosed with uh, polycystic kidney disease when I was 28 and um, had just found out that I was pregnant with Lana, um, who was our oldest one. And uh, so basically what they told me was, so sorry, not much you can do about it. It's not treatable. It's not curable. You will eventually have to go on dialysis and you'll probably die. And um, you're looking at 40, 45 years, basically. It's kind of what they told me my, you know, lifespan would be um, unless I, you know, went on dialysis and was able to live on dialysis for a while. And people can live for, you know, 20 years or so on dialysis. Um, but it's not a great life and it's not, it's very, can be very miserable um, when you're having to, you um, go do dialysis. Now, if you're not familiar with what dialysis is, that is where a machine filters your blood. So basically, they um, the, it's a needle or a port or whichever one you have, and it pulls your blood through this machine that filters all the toxins and everything out of your blood and then puts it back into your body. And this has to be done um, multiple times a week. For me, it was three days a week, four hours at a time. For other people, it can be, you know, five or six hour process. Um, Depends on, you know, how your body is functioning at the time and, um, you know, what what your uh, blood levels are. And they they do lots of labs and follow that and they stay really on on top of that. But for us, that was a, uh, I mean, that was a big change in our life um, for me to have to do three days of dialysis. Um, So I didn't start getting sick until, what would you say, 2017? It's probably about right. Yeah. I mean, like really sick. Like 
you know, through the years, my doctors kind of kept track of, like, my kidney function and watching it. And we've just seen it, like, you know, kind of decline on this little, um, you kind of going downhill, little by little by little. And um, then I started with a new nephrologist, which is a kidney specialist, in, I think, 20... No, it was earlier than that. It was 2016, 2015 when I started seeing her. And then we kind of, it kind of came to a point where I was going to need a specialist to kind of manage it. And we knew that. Um, and just really kind of, that's when we kind of said, well, what can we do to get ahead of this? Um, in the past, the nephrologist the, that I had saw when I first was initially diagnosed, there were no options. And um, she said, well, you're a perfect candidate for a kidney transplant. And so we said, well, all right, what do we need to do to, to go th- through that process? How do, we, how do we do that? And so that kind of um, started a journey of, you know, a journey to, to getting a transplant and knowing that that was going to be my best option for, you know, long term. And uh, so that's kind of where we started. We went to Emory. And I had to go through lots of testing. They want to make sure that you are a good candidate um, before all of that. And, I mean, you can kind of talk some about, like, how you felt about all of that. Terrified, stressed. You know, who wants to be on your second child, a newborn baby on the way? You find out that during this pregnancy she has... A condition that's hereditary that you can't do anything about. Um, so I've got two little girls now. One we've had for a while was Lana. When I don't know, say a while. Um, we had for about what two years. She was about two years old, three when Layla was born. Yeah, she was three when Layla was born. So mm-hmm. that's a lot. I mean, you know, how do you think? You know, what what am I going to do as a father with? Two little girls who absolutely, I, I believe, needs a mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, every child needs a mother, in my opinion. And I, I'm sad to say when people don't, don't have that option, uh, it's difficult. Uh, but in the same ways, they need a father. But, you know, I, I grew up and with, you know, a lot of father figures. But, you know, um, I was absent a father. But, you know, I had a mom. Um and so that that kind of filled in, and the father figures, you know, stepped up and to play there. But that being said, when she talks about dialysis, um, man, that's such a terrifying thing to see your spouse go through. How tasking it is on their body, um, the process of watching, you know, your spouse actually or your, whoever it is, your family member. Uh, stop eating because they can start to taste metals, things like that, and they just start starving themselves uh, because they don't like the taste of the food or they've they've lost all joy in the food process. And she can talk more about that and how that that affected. But, you know, we had to have a community to help us survive this. I mean, we had uh, Miss Nixon, which was the elementary school, um, one of the principal, right? 
I'm saying that right, it's the principal. No, no. Miss Nichols was Ms. the Nichols, assistant principal at the time, and Miss Nixon was just a, was uh, one of the teachers. Okay, so Miss Nichols actually assisted us because I was actually working in Rome and actually taking the kids from both of them. Uh, yeah. school, both girls, from the middle school to the dialysis center to sit with their mom until I could get from done with work and be there to get the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and pick her up potentially, but usually just the kids until she came home, which she would come home completely wiped out from the dialysis and need to go to sleep immediately after. So it was me, the girls and, and the pets, you know, trying, tr- to, figure out trying to figure out dinner, um, trying to plan my, you know, my next day. And quite honestly, you know, how do you, you don't ever know exactly what plan life's got so many curveballs. What if somebody gets sick? Uh, how do I keep the sick kids away from mom? Because they can make mom worse. Mm-hmm. So as you can see already, the struggle's real at this point, And there's nowhere to run and hide. You either lay down and die or you figure out a way to fight. Absolutely. Um, so you have to look at proper nutrition. You have to look at exercise, health, sleep, and then managing stress. I mean... Guys, I know you're the rest of us. We could write a book on stress, right? Uh, stress comes in just normal day life, but now it's magnified because your stress is life or death. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, Tania, talk to us a little bit about that process of let them know how it was going through this, especially appetite-wise, and then eventually we end up into uh, your potassium levels mm-hmm. and all those shifting around and what that process well, that would kind of happen right, you know, I guess a few months before I started dialysis. I really was, um, I had gone through the, we had gone through the process of being a, a put on the transplant list and being approved for a transplant. Um, I'd gone through uh, lots of people who had went through the process to see if they were, could donate a kidney to me as a living donor. Um, a living donor gives you your, the best longevity for your kidney. Um, rather than um, what is a cadaver donor, which is someone who's passed away and has donated their organs. Uh, so with a living donor, you get you get a longer lifespan of that kidney before you need another transplant. And so that was kind of what we were hoping for was a living donor, especially considering that I was a, a younger candidate. And um, But no, none of our family, none of our friends... No one was able to get through the rigorous process of the screening um, in order to be a donor. You know, one of the things is they don't want to remove a healthy organ from someone who may have issues later. And so they want to make sure that whoever donates is, you know, the healthiest as possible so that, you know, in the long run, it isn't detrimental. Donating isn't detrimental to their own health. So... I was holding out on the dialysis thing. I I knew what a process that was. Um, I had had seen other family members that had gone through dialysis and uh, was not looking forward to that at all. And so I was really holding out until the very last moment. But as in that holding out, I lost my appetite and um, just really. Um, always had a bad taste in my mouth. It it was just, I became a lot weaker. 
and um, a lot more fatigued and just tired all the time, uh, lost by my coloring. My, my parents look back now and they tell me that I looked gray. Uh, and I can look back in pictures and say, oh, that was when I was getting sick. And I can see it now, but in the moment, I was determined to just press on and move forward until I could get a donor and forego the whole dialysis thing. I didn't want to be on dialysis, but uh, it was December of 2018. I Rocky looked to me and said, you have to go see your doctor. And I was scheduled for a follow-up in January, but, you know, I called and I said, these are the, like, I've lost my appetite. I can't eat anything. And um, so they got me in, and she said, you have to have dialysis by the end of the week. It is no longer, like, saying no or putting this off is no longer an option. So at that point, I had to go in and get a permacath, which is a little port that they attach to your uh, jugular artery, and they run it under your collarbone so that they can give you dialysis immediately. This is absolutely horrifying and painful, I will tell you. I watched her go through more than one of these because they don't always hold up and they fail. Mm -hmm. One of which, we were in the hospital and due to her potassium levels, right? Yeah. They were unable to give her anesthesia. So they carried her. This is a kind of a surgical procedure. It is. They normally put you to sleep for it. They did it with her awake and with no anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So imagine like this tube they run up and down through your neck and under your collarbone. And they're doing this with no anesthesia and you awake. Well, so the the danger there was because I had not been eating, because I had not had such an appetite, my potassium was um, dangerously low. And potassium affects a lot of the way your heart functions. There are a lot of like electrolytes and nutrients that you know, you hear about every day and you think, oh yeah, those are things that I eat. Those are things that I need, but you don't really know what they do in your body. But your potassium, the anesthesiologist came in and he said, if I put you under and um, for this, your heart will probably stop. And, and I, I'm not going to do that. There is no option there. So they did come in and they did ask me, like, this is the other way we can do this. We can do just a nerve block. You won't feel anything. Um, just some pressure. It was uh, not very comfortable at all um, to have that. Like I said, they, you know, they, they put this tube into your jugular and then they run it underneath your collarbone and it comes out your chest here and it has these two little prongs, one one for blood flow out, one for blood flow in. And so, um, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't pleasant. And then um, in the meantime, they were giving me potassium to try to pull my potassium back up. And potassium burns as it goes in your vein. It it was it's the worst thing that I have ever 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 have, and I don't wish that on anybody. Um, and so I was on potassium. I had to be hospitalized for several days after that. They started dialysis immediately in the hospital. And the first permacath didn't work. So I had to go have an, another one. And um, the tube, the, it just had gotten a bend in it or something. And it just wasn't, the, the blood flow wasn't flowing correctly. And so thankfully by that time, my potassium had come up enough that they could put me to sleep. And so the, for the second permacath, I was asleep, uh, and, and I think it was a much 
for me, it was much smoother. I don't know about the surgeon, but uh, so I had the permacath for, let's see, they told me I could keep it for six months to a year. And um, before they did, um, oh, what's it called? The needle in the arm where they do the, a graph or, um, and my brain's going to go blank right now. Anyway, it's uh, where they, they put a, they take a vein, they, take a vein. They, they merge veins together and make it, make a vein point. sturdy enough to handle the blood flow in and out. And right now my brain is not, they can also do it as, as a graph. Um, and I can't think of what it's called right now. I didn't want that because that can leave scarring and it can cause, um, knots and stuff to form in your arm if they don't rotate the needles and all I mean there's there was a there's some more complications to that I did not want that and so like I said I was holding out for that kidney transplant I knew I knew I knew I knew that I would get a kidney transplant but I was also told five to seven years on the waiting list that to expect to be on dialysis for five to seven years and um, looking I mean looking at that process of showing up somewhere three days a week and sitting there for four hours while you're um, being dialyzed and then going home and I immediately crashed and I miss I feel like I miss out on so much of my kids during that time you know Lana was in the eighth grade Layla was in the fourth grade Um, they had such support at school for both of them, both both of them had wonderful teachers that really supported them that they could go to and talk with and really talk about mommy's sick and this is how I feel. And they really, really supported them. I could not have asked for a better support system for my kids than the, the school system here. And so, and um, and that's, that we're in Somerville, so that's Chattooga Middle and Chattooga Elementary where they were at at that point in time but um you know and then having teachers step in and what can we do how can we help you and how can we help your kids like how do we but you know how can we support them and having them you know to the point of want to ride the bus to the elementary school and either the teacher or a principal drop them by the Dallas center which is at the end of the road and and so they could sit and hang out until I was done or until Rocky was able to come get them. But that was such a great help. I think it took a lot of, um, I don't know, it took a lot of worry off, off of me to like, well, how am I going to go get them? I can't go get them because I'm being dialyzed. And sometimes he would be, you know, he was working in Rome. So, you know, you guys know how it is, the kids, and they can't ride the bus because there's nobody home to get them off the bus and they're little. Um, so community was really, really important. Um, and we want to go over as far as exhaustion, physical exhaustion at time. There was days because my days seemed endless at that point because I woke up and had the same routine of doing, I mean, not that it was her fault. Obviously it wasn't, but having to take on a dual role of daddy and mom at times and, also care for her because she needs the attention and no one knows uh and and to this day um how much time you have in a day because i hear people say 
during all this, guys, I had to go to the gym. I had to keep myself in the top mm-hmm. physical peak position condition that I could be in because I couldn't afford to go down. I couldn't afford to get sick. I was the only one, and if I potentially get sick or the kids get sick, they could get her sick. And you know, and when yeah. you're already on dialysis, your immune system's compromised, so it can be fatal. So. You've got to look at the fact that there was obviously no way um, that getting sick was ever an option for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just a continuous to drive forward. And when people say, I don't have time to do this, I took care of a sick and, uh, you know, dying wife at that point in time, you know, and two kids pets, the household, the work, all that load, and I made time to do what I needed to do for myself as well. So kind of value what you have when it comes to time, when you sit there and bellyache and whine on what you don't, because there's always someone that has a deeper hole than you do Mm -hmm. that they're in, and they've still got to battle through it. You don't know how much time and how much effort and what you can do until you don't have any other option but to do it. Yeah. Well, even during that time, I was going to the gym. I, you know, once I started dialysis, my appetites kind of started back returning. And we really focused on diet and nutrition and exercise because my goal was, you know, when you go on dialysis, you see a lot of people that say, well, I wasn't a candidate for a transplant. You know, I couldn't, they told me no, they told me no. And I was determined they were not going to tell me no. And um, so, you know, I made sure I was eating right and following the the diet that, you know, I was given. There were certain things, there's certain things on dialysis you, you cannot eat um, because you're, you know, I went from having low potassium to have not being able to take in a whole lot of potassium. So I started having to watch what I ate. Um, potassium, phosphorus, you know, different calcium levels, all of that really affects your, um, you know, what's, it's in your blood and it affects whether or not you, the types of, um, what am I thinking of? Uh, How your body functions. So if dialysis isn't removing enough of the excess of that, then you have to eat less. So if you have a higher potassium level, and dialysis can only remove so much of that, and then you have to consume less of that, if that uh, makes sense. So you had to follow a renal diet. Um, I really had to, like, watch, you know, so watch what I ate. There were things that we learned to, to substitute, not only for that, so, like, potatoes. Turnips make a great substitute for potatoes. Who knew? Well, we figured that out. Um, so there was things that we had to learn how to work around as far as diet and nutrition, but it's also going to the gym, you know, at least once or twice a week during this time when I was on dialysis three days a week. Now, it wasn't on my dialysis days, obviously, but, you know, the weekends, I had dialysis Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and so I would usually go maybe one day during the week, a Tuesday, Thursday, and then a Saturday or a Sunday. And so, you know, I would go do what I could do. Now, I wasn't getting in, you know, an hour-long workout. I might go and spend five to 10 minutes on an elliptical or a bike and lift weights, lift, do some light weight lifting for five to 10 minutes, some strength training. And that might be all I could do, but I did what I could do. 
And then that was, you know, that progressed. And so I think because of that, when it came time, when a kidney came available, because I was putting in the work to keep myself healthy, I think that's what made me a good candidate for the transplant. Yeah, let's talk about that story a little bit. So I've said it from my perspective before, but let's hear it from hers. So that day, we are out to eat, and I'll let her fill in the rest of Mm -hmm. that from there, on when we get the call and our reactions to this. And let's go from there. So we're about 11 months into my dialysis treatment. Um, I had started in December. Uh, This was November. So, I mean, we were getting close to that that one-year mark. And, um, you know, I was just following up with my regular appointments. There wasn't really any talk of um, any, like, hey, we're looking or there was no updates at that point. So this call really kind of came out of the blue, but I remember it. We were sitting um, at Chili's eating lunch together, and um, it was, I want to, it was the 12th of November, and uh, I get a call, and by the time I had got the call, it had went to voicemail, but I saw that it was, it was Emery, my transplant coordinator, and um, so I was like, I need to call, I need to call them back, and so I call her back, and she was like, so uh, Miss Shaw, we need you to be here on the 14th for pre-op. And I'm like, she's like, we have you a kidney and you're scheduled for a transplant on the, on November 27th. Is that going to work for you? And I said, absolutely. We will make it work. And, um, I mean, I cannot tell you, I mean, I was completely overjoyed. I think, um, everybody, uh, so we, Chili's was one of our local spots that we went to a lot. So we knew the waitress and one of the managers. And so, you know, they, knew what we were going through. And so it was just this big celebration in the middle of Chili's that I was getting a kidney. And um, I, you know, the excitement was overwhelming. You know, I think we immediately like started making phone calls to all of our family. And I went back to the office um, where I was working at the time and, you know, told all my coworkers and started making arrangements for, okay, I'm going to be out. And, you know, these are the things, you know, These are the things that, you know, uh, are going to need to be covered is, you know, really making arrangements for the, this kidney transplant and, you know, it happened really quickly. Um, I did pre-op two days later and then, you know, we prepped for surgery and the day before Thanksgiving, uh, I went in to Emory and, uh, found out my, uh, kidney was coming from, um, a person in California and my surgeon came in and said, uh, kidney looks good. I watched them remove it, and, and it is uh, just landed on the roof. <laughs> and so uh, we're, we're, about, we're ready. We're going to pull, pull you into surgery. And um, so, you know, it was just this amazing process. I mean, that they flew it um, on a, you know, commercial plane across the country and then helicoptered it in from the airport. And, you know, just these things that you don't really think about that goes into this these processes. And so, uh, so yeah, so I was able to get a transplant and did uh, pretty, pretty well initially after that. And then I think I, I mean, I was like up and walking the next day. And um, 
I mean, yes, it was painful, but uh, I wasn't going to, you know, slow down for anything. And I think those are things that you have to remember. Sometimes you just have to push through the pain and work through it and um, not let it flatten you out. But I had, you know, my family there, Rocky and, um, you know, my mom and dad and and my uncle and so my sister. It just... uh, you know, we had all that that family support, and Rocky stayed with me the whole time and made helped me get up and out in and out of the bed and walked with me <laughs> around and around the uh, the hallway. I think the nurses were like called the doctor and was like, uh, "She's up walking," because he came in and he was like, "So I hear you're up walking." I was like, "Yeah," and uh, so then I got to go home that weekend, um, but one of the the things about transplants is. There are sometimes you have a rejection, and I did about. Um, I think I went home on went home Sunday, and then I had to come back on Monday. I think, yeah, it was Monday. I went back for labs, and they did some labs, and um, I got a call Monday night, and they were like, "We need you back at the hospital first thing tomorrow morning. Pack a bag," and I'm like, "Oh no!" So we went back to the hospital. They had to do a biopsy. Um, but it came back that my body was rejecting my kid, rejecting the new kidney. So that meant another week in the hospital and some really, really strong immunosuppressants that completely wiped my immune system. And so when you have a transplant, you get on immune, they have to suppress your immune system because your body will, you know, reject it because of the rejections and the risk of it. And that is a forever thing. So there are medications that I will be on life, lifetime medications. And um, those aren't cheap. And, um, you know, that's some of the financial ramifications of illnesses is making sure, you know, we have to keep really good insurance um, because my medications are quite expensive each month. But back to the, the rejection, I was able to, we were able to get through that. And go home in about a week. And um, uh, everything's been good since. That I get labs, you know, regular labs, and they still keep track of all of that and making sure that all of my levels are staying good and my kidneys are, kidney is doing good. Um, I still have my two natural kidneys because they don't take them out. They just give you an, an extra one. And um, I guess, I mean, what, what else? What else we need well, to Well, I was about? thinking just going back to... Okay, so most of you who know me as far as direction-wise and directionally challenged, that's me. So, Emory Hospital, if you've ever been inside of it, or Piedmont or any of them, <laughs> man, you can get lost quick. But I became, I was almost proud of myself because I, I refused to leave her, and so I stayed at the hospital. I'm talking about breakfast, dinner, lunch. Bedtime, you know, I was there, so I, I learned to navigate and go to I, all the, you know, the nurses taught me where where to go eat, who had the best food, and and man, they really had some good food uh, up there, and I, I probably put put on a few pounds just trying <laughs> to uh, eat, especially my weak point is pizza, and they had some killer pizza at Emory. Um, they did do a Thanksgiving dinner too. Cause they we did do a Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner. Um, 
And they had, I guess they had like a pre-Christmas party. I don't remember which what we were there for. It was the rejection. I think it was the rejection. They had a Christmas party when I was there and uh, had the Grinch. I had pictures of that somewhere. Yeah. All on my, you can find them on Facebook huge, somewhere. They had a huge blowout for their employees and, and yeah, one of the, the lobbies. And, it, and that was really cool. Um, so, I mean, to go through that stuff, but... The the thing about the appreciation I learned from memory, especially in the transplant, is the nurses were so kind and so supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was, you know, treated well just as well as she was uh, to, to make sure I needed anything while I was there. And the community, I, I want to say there's a lot of the Romans here uh, in, in Rome, Georgia, that... That that I worked with uh, downtown and other places that you know sent me money to make sure I had stuff to eat there when I was there mm-hmm. because you know I'm out I'm not working at this point in time uh, I was working for JBM at the time and they were very kind and you know supportive of what we were going through um, and they were there for us but. You know, but all this stuff's expensive. Eating every day, you're mm-hmm. eating out pretty much every day. The hospital meals aren't free. No. I mean, so, I mean, it's good and they're food. Not, they're not cheap. They're like eating at a restaurant meal. Yeah, they're like eating out every night. And, um, I mean, so that money would stack up. And mm-hmm. without the community support that I got, there's no way I would have ever been able to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Uh, it's kind of what we're doing this for is kind of uh, kind of paying back and letting people listen to. I know everybody right now in this economy, and we went through COVID, and I'll get into that. We're we're about to dive in just a little bit about that taste. Is right after this surgery, and we get home. Guess what? Here comes COVID. We all had the flu first. Yeah, we all had the flu first. Right? We we we, mm-hmm. we battled the flu. Yeah, both kids had the flu. And then Rocky had the flu, and, um, you know, I get out of the hospital after this rejection, and I don't have an immune system at that point in time, basically, and they're like, you can't be around anybody that's sick. And um, I'm having to go back to Emory, I think it was, what, twice a week? Yeah. It was twice a week week. after at the first beginning of it. And so, you know, we're having to... Corn, you know, keep the kids away from me, and then Rocky's having to take care of me and the one kid that's not sick, and the uh, the kid that's sick is at my mom's house. And then on the days I had to go back to Emory, my mom and my mom or my dad drove me because Rocky had to go back to work. And so then we would have to flip flop, and I would have to go to my, I would have to, he would have to go drop me off, and my mom would have to clean, and then. Um, the kid that was sick would go back with him and then we would flip flop again. And then it was like one got sick and then I think it was Lana first. Lana had the flu first and then she got better and then Layla had the flu and then Rocky got the flu. Mm -hmm. And so when Rocky got the flu, um, we went and stayed with my mom and left him at home to take care of himself. And so, uh, and all you men and all you wives out there know that men cannot take care of themselves when they're sick. That's absolutely true. We are huge babies, and so this part of this conversation, by the way, Dalton and Summer Gibbs, you should appreciate you, Joe. I know you've just been through this whole sickness mm-hmm. process with the yep. the twins and uh, my buddy Bentley, 
so uh, we love you guys, and we know. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so you're not going through anything that everyone's. It does not that it makes it any better. As you're going through it, it still sucks. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, but there is a there is a the other side of it. You yeah. do come out of it. So you come out of it. Um, things will get better. They might get worse again, but then they'll get better. <laughs> they always get better. Yeah. Um, but you're right. COVID hit right after that. So you know we get through that. Um, I get to a point where um, you know I can get back to to work. And, you know, I go back to work kind of in a little bit more of a limited capacity, but then COVID hits. And then my doctors are calling saying, hey, you can't be around anybody. Um, you need to find a way to work from home, which I was fortunate at that time that the the job I had, um, we were able to work that out so that I could work from home. But then, like, as soon as that started, the entire country shut down. So we we're all working from home. And that, you know, lasted several, several months. And so, you know, it was just this whole, like, having to stay away from everybody. But in the meantime, you know, the kids were in and out of school. Sometimes they had school. Sometimes they didn't have school. And sure enough, I have a kid that comes home with COVID. And Mm -hmm. then the second kid gets COVID. And then, you know. Then I get COVID. Yeah, and this was like uh, August. You know, we were, we had like moved past the, the, the big breakout part <coughs> and you know um actually this was august of the following year wasn't it because we we had vaccines we we i had been vaccinated because my doctor insisted that i get vaccinated and so um so this was like 20 let's see 2019 2020 <coughs> yeah because the vaccines came out in like april or so so i guess it was the august i'm having to Think through my timeline here. So I guess it was August of 2020, because I it was my birthday, August of 27th of 2020 that I had to go to Emory and get antibodies because I had COVID. Because immediately uh, when I picked up the phone and was like, "Hey, I just tested positive for COVID," they're like, "We need to see you immediately." And so um, fortunately, I did not get very sick. Um, I, I was the fortunate one, um, to, to not get very sick and, um, just, you know, really the fatigue was the worst part, but, uh, you know, we kind of got through that, but still, you know, in that same instance, you know, we moved past COVID, but I am still, my immune system is still compromised. I am still at risk for, uh, you know, pretty much everything that goes around, the you know, flu, cold, it, every all of that is easier for me to contract. And so, and when it is something simple like, you know, food poisoning, which usually goes away in about 24 hours, for me, that can last for days. I mean, just as simple as simple as, you know, eating some sort of bacteria. And that's the thing that they don't, you know, they didn't really tell you was those things like you can't eat, you know, a medium rare steak anymore. You can't eat sushi. You can't eat over easy eggs. Anything that can subject you to any kind of foodborne illness, you have to take out of your diet. And so um, those are things that you don't really think about. And it's kind of a moot point because it's not like you're going to, like, give up a chance at life just because you can't eat your steak the way you want to anymore. But, um, 
It would have been nice to know so I could have had at least one <laughs> really good steak before, but that's okay. And some sushi. But, we'll, you know. Yeah, we can we can still see. If I go out, and you, I know you're going to give me flack right now because I still eat mine medium rare, and, and she will look at my steak with very <laughs> envious eyes, and maybe her yes. mouth might water yes. a little bit yes. too. So, But I'm a great husband, and I pass her the A1 so yes. that she can um, – Smother it in something to, to kind of compensate for that. Well, okay, so there are a few places that even if you get it well done, it's not crispy, and I appreciate that. Um, but for the most part, I just stick to chicken. <laughs> so uh, I think we went to a really, really nice place once, um, and people were like, who would order chicken? I'm like, me. <laughs> that was Ruth Chris. <laughs> yeah. That was JBM's Christmas party. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I was like, sorry, I have to order the chicken. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, it, so it's definitely changed our lives. I, um, I, you know, I think, you know, there are things now that we have to be a little bit more careful about and we have to be a little bit more mindful about. But overall, I mean, I'm healthy, you know, as as healthy as I can be. And, um, you know, the alternative is so much worse. So, you know, I'm definitely thankful. Um, for you, those of you who wonder about my donor, um, her name is Mary. I, we were able to um, get put in touch with each other. You, donors are anonymous. And we had to go through Emory to communicate for a little while. And then we were able to kind of start communicating on our own. But we have been able to kind of uh, develop a relationship. And, you know, she's from um, Berkeley, California. And um, so, you know, she was able to, to donate a kidney. And just to kind of explain how that process worked is there is a kind of an exchange program where if you have someone you want to donate to, but you don't match that person, you can donate a kidney into the exchange, and they still get a kidney. It's somewhere on the list, but it's somehow like, I don't, I don't know if it's like makes them some sort of priority or exactly, exactly how it works, but that's, that's the process that she had went to. She wanted to donate to her friend wasn't able to because she was not a match, but decided to donate anyway because there were so many people on the list that needed kidneys, and I happened to be um, the best match on the list for her kidney. And so, and then her friend was still able to get his kidney. Um, it was a few weeks later after um, I got mine. And uh, so we have been able to keep it in touch and develop a little bit of relationship of, um, so it's kind of um, an, a nice little friendship has come out of that, that, you know, is, would not have otherwise. So now I have people in California that, you know, um, has, you know, cheered, cheered me on, um, really taken an interest in like Lana and all of her projects and um, really cheering her on. And so it's it kind of developed another little uh, support system for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of starting to wrap this up a little bit, I want to take a moment and let, let both of us give a moment to encourage you. You, you saw, and we're sharing this with you, not out of sympathy. Um, we went through what we went through, and we came out stronger. We're going through... That was the first battle we have. I mean, some of us, uh, I, I know several of you have the same story. It's similar to me. 
you, you started off life fighting. Um, so we don't, we don't know any other way. We don't mm-hmm. roll over and we don't lay down. So, you know, Tania had this polycystic kidney disease and there's, I, I always say, and I know someone else said this, so I'm ripping it off from them, but whoever said it, everything's impossible until someone does it. So every time we see something impossible or somebody sticks something in front of us, we're going to prove them wrong. And it's going to be the first time that someone says, well, I guess we were wrong. It's not impossible. And it's not impossible. You've just got to bear down and fight through it. Eventually, whatever it is has to give way and you're going to pass it up. Uh, Tania, Tania had that mindset. I had that mindset mm-hmm. with it. Now that we're dealing with my heart issues, the same thing applies. I'm not giving up. She's not giving up. And we're going to fight through it. Um, we see so many people that are going through tough times right now. And that's really why we're doing this. We're letting you know. Um, I know there's people that still talk to us and ask her and want to talk about the kidneys and what has happened there. So now you've heard that story, you know what you need to do. Get off your ass. Don't sit there. Don't take what the doctors tell you for a written rule. Do some research. Do it on your own because doctors only know so much, Mm -hmm. and I'm not discrediting them. Doctors don't know nutrition. Seek out good. There's good sources here Mm -hmm. in Rome, Georgia. Keith Osmond. Uh, Go to Spartan Smoothie. Go to Omni Wellness. Uh, he has, uh, I'm going I'm to get tongue-tied right now on all, all the services he has. Um, my good friend that ran Micros has a program right now that he goes through, Keith. Um, I, I can't remember. It's a pack on the pound. So protein by the pound. Protein by the pound. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so many great ways, and I know it's expensive and it's hard to eat, right? I'm no, I know exactly that it's a lot cheaper to go to mm-hmm. McDonald's and get a 99 cent cheeseburger. And then, well, hell, it's not, not even 99, 99 cents, cents anymore. anymore. <laughs> um, so why kill yourself for, you know, for the meals that you're eating that's going to slowly put you in the grave or put you in a condition that's far worse? So seek out those things, but stay brave, stay strong. Seek out, you know, messages online. Uh, I can refer you over to other things. Tania will. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about the future a little bit. So we're working on uh, through selling shirts, through working out some different things, selling money. We have took on 12-gauge promotions is now taking care. uh, We were actually working with several partners on their social media. Um at Moe's Original Barbecue and Las Mesas here in Rome, uh, Mexican Grill. We're looking at several other partners. So if you need someone, you know someone that we that needs some help in social media, we're willing to let 12 Gauge Promotions come in there and let's talk to you. So in the future, what we're planning on doing is Tania's working on and laying out the plans for her own podcast. Mm-hmm. So she can talk to you ladies, gentlemen, whoever want to listen to her. Yeah. And... Maybe talk about offloading some of this stress and this, you know, that she's got plans. She's uh, 
Tanya has a psychology degree uh, through Barry, so she's got some experience, and she's going to start using that gift and open up a little bit to you guys and let you in and hear some of her thoughts and maybe things that can help you. Like we've just we're going through with Lana trying to get ready for college. Yes, and that's the big thing that we've talked about. Nobody's really ready for, and she's going through that, and she can share that with you guys as well, so that you're prepared or at least have some kind of outlet of knowing what she's going through so that what you might be going through real soon. Um, other than that, what I would like to say is please, please follow us, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. I will provide links um, in the, in the, when we post all this, it'll be available to you. Um, come see us at the KLT shows. We actually, this week, this Saturday, we will be at the Grand Prix of Deep South where they're going to crown the very, uh, a new champion. And it's been a while. And uh, Nauticism, I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember all the guys that are there, but Nauticism and Skrilla the Great, my boy, is going to be in there. So, and man, he's one of the most decorated champions. It's I'm, I'm in Skrilla's corner for this one to bring it home, but we will be there. Uh, Teddy Long will be there. Eric Bischoff. So you're talking about the next Georgia legend is with a bunch of legends and future legends as well. So, uh, Tania, why don't you close us off? Close us out. Close us out. Close Close us us out. out. Well, so I want to leave you with a quote. That um and and you may think this is cheesy, but that's okay. But this was one thing um that really kind of um got me through some of my the days that you just want to give up because let's face it, no matter how strong you are and no matter how um stubborn you are, you have days where you're just like, why am I doing this? But um this quote kind of just struck me one day um. And, and it's from the TV show Scandal. I don't know if you know who you know what that's about, but it's not so much about the TV show as it is the the actual quote. But it was on a day where I just, you know, you have those days you just want to run away from it all. But the quote says, "You don't get to run because you're a gladiator, and gladiators they don't run. They slay dragons, they wipe off the blood, they stitch up their wounds, and they live to fight another day. You don't get to run." And so that really struck me, not only because, I mean, it was an illness. I couldn't really run from it, but it was so, it hit me in a moment that I needed that reminder of who I am. And at the core, I'm a fighter. I am a gladiator. I am going to face whatever comes my way head on and, you know, go out fighting one way or the other. And so I think um, you need to find something maybe it's that quote maybe it's something something else but something you know that really resonates with who you are um to and your fighting spirit that you can just hold on to and remind yourself on the days that you're not feeling that it's kind of like a mantra that sometimes you just kind of have to repeat to yourself and so that's what i would say as we're leaving I like that. That's awesome. But but that's not how we close out this podcast. What's this podcast? How do we close out this podcast? What's this podcast name? What's this podcast? 12 Gauge. 12 12 Gauge gauge Uncut. uncut. So we always end with beware of the 12 12 Gauge. gauge.